I don't know about you, but Freeview, there's loads and loads... Even better, I can read now. I'm not in the... <laughs> There's lots and lots of channels now on Freeview, and one of them, there's all sorts of nonsense, but one of them I quite enjoyed was looking at adverts over the last, I don't know, 30, 40 years. I'm sure many of them wouldn't be able to be um, made in that way any longer for various reasons. And I don't know why, but one particularly resonated with me as I was thinking of this passage. Can you remember ones the Halifax Building Society had with Howard, who I think was actually an employee of the Halifax Bank? Um, and I couldn't believe it when I realised that it was Boxing Day 2000, the first one of those was actually aired. It must have been a pretty successful advertising campaign because it carried on until 2011 and I get you probably imagine um, can remember the words were put to whatever was you know in the sort of hits whatever they are I haven't heard, listened to what uh, the hit music chart for years and years I mean the standout one that I can remember was the one that classic by the uh, Baja men was who let the dogs out and the words were basically you know you get more. Who gives you extra? And you're probably thinking, you know, that's a bit tenuous. But I guess what we're looking at here is a beggar. And what he asks for, he gets far more. He is given far more. Um, he gets something beyond what he can imagine, possibly could imagine. Um, and so let's take a look then um, at these first 10 verses. So chapter 3, basically, in the first 10 verses, we get what God does. And then next week, when we look at it, um, we will get an explanation. And Peter, we will see preachers. And it leads to Peter's call for people to repent um, and believe in Jesus. So, and as we've started in Acts, you know, it says right at the very beginning, chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, that the risen Christ is acting and teaching through those he's chosen, his apostles. And then we see in chapter 2, we first of all, we have Pentecost, and again, we have an action. And then after that, we have Peter preaching. And again, a call for the people to respond in repentance and faith. And then, last week, um, we looked at um, the verses um, 43 to 47, um, which tell us something about the early church. <clears throat> And what they did, how they met together, they broke bread. But also, they experienced signs and wonders. So, as I say, and this was God's new community, the early church. And in verse 44, if you take a look at it, it says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And I say, in the verses we're looking at here in Luke, um, he provides in these first ten verses 
one of those signs, one of those miracles. And I say it's interesting that Luke actually refers to this miracle as a sign um, in chapter 4, verse 16, which is really when we see Peter and John hauled in front of the Sanhedrin to explain what has happened. Um, verse 16 of chapter 4, Luke actually refers to this as a sign. And before we look at it a little bit more closely, it might be worth thinking of some of the similar or a similarity and a contrast with what we've seen before in chapter two. So the similarity is the structure of this chapter. As I say, the first ten verses we see an action. We see God do something through the apostles. And then in the, in the verses 11 to 26, which we'll look at next week, we see Peter explaining what has happened and an opportunity to preach to them about the risen Jesus and this call for the crowd who are listening to turn in repentance and faith and tr- put their trust in the risen Jesus. And it's a similar structure to this chapter here. We have Verses 1 to 10, we see the action, the sign, and then as I say, in 11 to 26, we'll look at next week, we will again see Peter explain what has happened, and again, an opportunity to preach to the people gathered there, calling for them to turn in repentance and faith and put their trust in the risen Christ. And if you like, you could... In short, it is, you killed him, i.e. people in Jerusalem, God raised him, and we saw him. That's the apostles. And that is the message in both chapter 2, verses up to um, verse 43 from the beginning, and equally it's the same message there in chapter 3, um, verses 1 all the way through to 26. And, the, and, you know, when he preaches to them, Peter in 11 to 26, it's you killed him, I, people in Jerusalem were crap, God raised him and we saw him, which obviously each one of us responsible for Christ's death on the cross, we know that doesn't absolve us, but that, actually that is the message which Peter preaches on both occasions. And even when it goes out, as we know, the... Um, as we're told in chapter 1, verses 7 to 8, the gospel, you know, will be preached in Jerusalem or Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We're firmly still at that stage of Jerusalem. So that message, you killed him, God raised him, we saw him, holds true. When it moves out, it'll, the tenses will change. It's not so much you, it's they killed him, God raised him. And when it comes to Paul, it'll be they saw him. Obviously, Paul had that encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, but he wasn't there amongst the original um, disciples and those who would be the apostles who saw Christ crucified in Jerusalem. The contrast, just scan across the page there, chapter 2, verses 44 to 45. Do you remember? All the believers were together and held everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. 
And, you know, and even in chapter 5, again, we get this um, picture of that early church sharing their possessions, meeting each other's needs. Um, but here, in chapter 3, we have a beggar sitting outside the temple. Now, the temple was a place of sacrifice for the Jews if you like, it was God's unique dwelling place. Obviously, God's not constrained to just a building, but for the Jews, it was God's unique dwelling place. If you like, it's where heaven and earth met. And, as I say, this beggar is outside the temple, yet the people of the covenant with Moses at that time, you know, when they'd been rescued from Egypt, and they received the law. You know, it's quite clear the people of, you know, that covenant were not fulfilling their responsibilities, having a beggar sitting outside a temple. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 4, um, verse 4 says this, However, there need be no poor people among you, for he will richly bless you. You know, there the people of Israel were entering into the promised land. It's a, a land flowing with milk and honey of abundance. And they receive God's blessing. And verse 7 of Deuteronomy 15 says, If anyone is poor among you, fellow Israelites, in any town of the land, do not be tight-fisted or hard-hearted towards them. So you see, the people of Israel were to look after one another. Those in material need were to be taken care of. And they say, you can see that's not happening. You've got a picture here of a beggar outside the temple, the temple gates, that is. And I'm sure he wasn't the only one who was actually begging there. So turning now towards these first 10 um, verses in more detail, Luke, meticulous historian, but also his medical background, he gives us some, a lot of detail about this beggar. So look at verse 2. We find out he's lame, he can't walk, he's carried every day there to the same pitch outside the temple gate. Verse 3, verse 10, if you take a look there, he's well known. And in chapter 4, verse 22, which is just the other side page over there, if you want to turn to it, it says... Um, that he was over 40 years old. So you can see that uh, Luke is making, you know, gives us a lot of detail about this um, beggar, this disabled man who has to beg in the um, outside the temple gate. Um, the time of the encounter as well, Luke tells us. It was three in the afternoon. That is when Peter and John were going to the temple. And it seems that although we have that description of the early church and how they met in each other's houses, that fellowship, they broke bread, amongst other things, it seems that they still, because I would imagine, maybe not exclusively, but almost predominantly, they were Jewish, the first Christians, and they were still going to the temple. And this is where this particular sign, this miracle, is um, going to take place. So, 
The beggar asks Peter and John for money as they walk past him. What the beggar receives goes far beyond what he had asked for. It wasn't loose change he received. Look at verse 6 and we see what Peter says to him. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Walk. And he's healed completely. Peter gives him a hand to lift him up. But verse 7 makes it clear. He is completely healed. Do you notice that? Instantly the man's feet and ankles become strong. He was able to jump to his feet. I mean, can you imagine that nowadays if someone hasn't been able to walk and uh, or they break their leg, fracture it very badly. Sometimes it takes months of physio. It takes, you know, rehabilitation. If someone had never walked in life, you can imagine, you know, their brain has to be connected, all the sort of neuro, whatever they do, um, thing me jigs, you know, to connect, but you can tell I, I'm not a scientist, you know, to connect, you know, what the brain says down to their muscles. You know, all of those sort of things. Yet here we see his ankles, his feet become strong, and he's up on his feet, jumping and praising God. As I say, Luke in chapter 4, um, verse 16, he's, he calls this miracle a sign. Now, when we think back into the Gospels, you know, those eyewitnesses' accounts of Jesus' um, life and death and his earthly ministry, we know that the, you know, his ministry was accompanied by these miracles, by these signs which pointed to um, who he was and why he came. I mean, indeed, just take a look back at verse 22 of chapter 2. You remember all the crowd who were gathered there for the festival of Pentecost in Jerusalem? This is what, in part of Peter's um, sermon, explaining what has happened. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. And again, Jesus, if, if we look in the um, Gospels, refer to miracles, you know, saying that God was in him and he was in the Father. So the Father was in him and the Father um, was in Jesus and, G- and Jesus was with the Father. So if you look at um, John 10, verse 38, but if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I with the Father. So to say, Jesus' earthly ministry was accompanied by miracles and one of the if not the main function of these miracles, was to point to who Jesus was. They were like signposts. And now in the book of Acts, which we say are the acts of a risen Jesus, what happens after he's ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father? So we see these signs and wonders um, acting like God's stamp of approval. They prove the authenticity 
of a person and the message, that gospel message all about Jesus, the risen and now ascended Jesus Christ. Um, and these apostles were accredited by signs and wonders. Um, and as the gospel goes out, the message is accompanied, accompanied to authenticate their message. I mean, uh, what's that? I know I'm no longer there, but when I was in the valuation office, I used to get a little um, warrant. Um, it was mid-80s when I first started there, and in those days, it was just like a, a thing saying, who, are what, there's no photograph or anything. But, you know, if I wanted to get into, it was, you know, some industrial premises or an office or whatever it was, I guess I just, you know, showed them this and, you know, I would get um, access into the building. To be honest with you, it looked, I think it had about as much authority as a bus pass. But, I mean, no one in those days ever asked me for it. If you just explained why, you know, you can see how things have changed nowadays. You know, you have to go through a whole rigmarole, you know, before I left to try and, you know, get to make an inspection of a property. I mean, I used to always go through the agents who act on their behalf, so I didn't have to uh, go through all these hoops. But, I mean, the point was, I received this card, this warrant, um, enabling me to inspect whenever I needed to. And this card accredited me as an official representative of the valuation office. And this affected the signs and wonders. This is what they do for the message um, and the acts. Um, of the apostles as they, if you like, are representatives of the risen Christ and their actions are credited um, in that way. As I say, the, the apostles are given the power by the Holy Spirit to, to show that they had this authority. What they did and what they preached was from God. And I guess, you know, as we look at Acts and we look at salvation history, God hasn't changed. God still has compassion. We can still, he can still heal. The Holy Spirit lives in all those who put their trust in Jesus. Jesus is still alive. But also there are differences from, you know, the book of Acts. Um, as I say, it's important to... Um, place it in relation to salvation history. We no longer have apostles. Um, we have God's full revelation, the Bible, his written word, final written word. There's no longer the need for um, the power of the risen, um, resurrected Jesus um, to be... Um, made known in these signs and wonders in the way they were in the early parts of Acts. As you, as you look through the Bible, you'll see the miracles come in clusters. So you have Moses, the Exodus, and um, as they go in, um, the pro or just before they get into the Promised Land, you have Elijah and um, Elisha, you know, to so where their authority comes from. Obviously, we have Jesus, and then we have Acts, you know, showing what happened after Jesus has ascended um, into heaven and how Jesus is acting and teaching through the apostles. Um, I hope what I've said isn't controversial. I appreciate some people might have a different view on, you know, 
the role of miracles. Um, what I would say is that um, God, we need a big view of God's providence. God still acts. Um, and I guess when we think about miracles, we're particularly thinking about healing. And I think, you know, when God, when someone is healed in a way medical science can't explain, we can give thanks to God. When people are healed through doctors and nurses, health professionals, we can thank God. But also, when we pray and people aren't healed, and I know that, you know, people are going through various treatments and so forth in our sort of church fellowship, and that prayer isn't answered. And I know this is hard, but we can still thank God because ultimately what Jesus is doing through his Holy Spirit is make us more and more like his son, the Lord Jesus. So, as I say, um, this is a particular moment of our salvation history. And that is why we see these um, signs and wonders accompanying the apostles' um, proclamation, their preaching, um, as the gospel goes out from Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and the gospel is still going out. And I know, you know, maybe on those frontiers where the gospel still hasn't penetrated or there's still opposition, we might see, you know, extraordinary acts of God. I know that in the Muslim world and our mission partners in Turkey will say that, dreams seem to play quite a part of a revelation. Um, But nonetheless, you know, we can see that God works in the extraordinary, extraordinary, but also the ordinary. And my view is that in the main it's very ordinary, but we certainly know that God is able to work in all circumstances. So if we look at verse 10, you know, the people at the temple, they also, they recognise this man. Earlier on I said that um, Luke gives us this picture, these details of the um, beggar. And they knew who he was. And all of a sudden, he's jumping up and down and praising God. This was a beggar who sat immobile every day, day in, day out, at the beautiful gate. And they were amazed. As I say, verse 10, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And this provides Peter with another opportunity to preach about the risen Christ and the kingdom of God. And that will come next week um, in verses 11 to 26. But just to make sure we know who was responsible for this healing, you know, Peter... In verse 16 of chapter 3, which we'll say look in more detail, makes it absolutely crystal clear. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through it that has completely healed him, as you can all see. So just um, as we've looked at these um, verses, just some points to take from it. In a sense, so from a spiritual sense, you know, the beggar's story 
is really each one of our own sort of story from as a, from a spiritual perspective. You know, whatever our background, you know, um, whether it's been reasonably successful, just going along or having a pretty sort of broken sort of life and background, the turnaround when we encounter the, you know, Jesus, when, you know, the Holy Spirit um, changes our hearts and minds to accept him, Jesus, as our saviour, when we turn into repentance and faith, what we get is far more than anything we've thought of as, as if there's things we want, those desires, all of those things pale into insignificance, into what we actually get, that extra we get, far, far beyond anything we could imagine or possibly have wanted when we have that encounter with the risen Lord Jesus who, and that change in our hearts so that we now turn in repentance and faith and put our trust um, in Jesus. We have that peace and that hope Far beyond anything, you know, materially which this world can offer, which is pretty fleeting really, is pretty transitory, doesn't often last for that long. And so thinking of it, I know every church meeting we have the same question, but our evangelism strategy here is us. And this is an opportunity for us to tell people about Jesus. Now, we aren't, obviously, Peter, we're not an apostle. We can't heal people. We can certainly pray for people who are in need and um, in need of healing. But, as we've seen here, it has been an opportunity for this beggar to encounter the risen Christ through Peter and John. And he encounters the risen Christ who heals him completely and we see that he then goes into the temple which he wouldn't have been able to have entered beforehand because of his deformity praising God the other side of the coin if you like if I can put it like that is Tim Keller he I'm sure most of us know pastor and a writer and he makes the point that the human heart is an idol factory we make idols out of just about anything, even those things which in themselves aren't bad, you know, be it careers, be it family, whatever it is, we can make uh, them into idols. And thinking, as I've just mentioned, how when we turn in repentance and faith and put our trust in Jesus, and how much better, how much more than that possibly is than anything the world can offer, all those fleeting, transitory things. And yet, if you're anything like me, we still, strangely enough, turn to seek satisfaction and purpose and meaning in the things elsewhere, the things in this world. And, you know, it's, you know, if only I had a better job, if only I had a little bit more disposable income, you know, you can fill in the blanks, whatever it is. Um, there's an old hymn, isn't there? The things of the world seem strangely dim. <laughs> but as I say, too often I think I look and see around and have things that the world offers which seem to be quite attractive. And I think, you know, 
in those circumstances, what we need to do, not, you know, screw up our eyes and try a little bit harder, but it's to focus on Jesus to that, um, to desire and to delight in him more. You know, could you imagine when Peter told the beggar to walk and that's exactly what he's able to do. Can you imagine the beggar sort of turning around saying, well, you know, thanks for that, but actually what I really wanted was a few sort of coins. Of course, it's ridiculous, isn't it? And, you know, when we turn our thoughts to all the stuff and all the material things and all those bits and pieces, it's a bit like that, and it's, it is ridiculous. And what we need to do is just keep our gaze, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, you know, that joy, that joy which doesn't depend on circumstances, that right, being right with God, that righteousness, that peace, that steadfast love, and that future, that hope that we have because in and through Christ. And that's what we should keep our eyes fixed upon. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we read this passage and the sign, the miracle that was performed, help us to marvel and have awe at your mighty powers, but also your amazing compassion for each one of us. And we just do pray that through your Holy Spirit you help us to keep our eyes fixed upon your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has put us into that right relationship with you, the one whose steadfast love we experience. And we just pray that more and more, through the work of your Holy Spirit, we delight in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and more and more he is and the Spirit is conforming us into the likeness of him, we pray. Amen.